Welcome, Jurassic fans, to the 161st episode of the Rather Nerd Podcast. I'm Jenny, your host, and today, oh, well, we got a veggie patty, but the other patty, you know, he's uh, kind of doing pretty badly today. So <laughs> we're not having the potato mochi. But look at that. Larry is here. Hello. Hey. And as you said yourself, you're rather even whiter than ever. So. Yeah, I I was. I was just like this. And then I, okay, now. <laughs> I, I'm uh, a Pokemon. I'm a shiny Pokemon. <laughs> does, does that mean that you like Taylor Swift even more now? Of course. <laughs> oh, okay, man. You see, that makes things much easier for me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All righty, Al. Today we're doing a long one. We're doing the Caves Rock, which I don't know what I was high on that day, but I wrote like, ah, I should have stopped earlier. Anyways, so <laughs> you got chapter 23 there, right, Lani? Yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll be doing most of the voice today. My Lord, ah, Lord, have mercy on my throat. Good Let's get started. <laughs> The straight line trip would cover 2,830 kilometers, but of course, our route would not be absolutely straight, as the wide waves required against the propellers that were taking us toward Tristan de Cunha. Lucy and I occupied two adjoining cabins, close to frosts. With us were a few tourists, the maximum amount allowed by law, and by the elders who controlled the entrance and exit of people from the island. The place needs to be protected to preserve the local fauna, and looking around, the sad image of passengers throwing their packages on the deck made my hope fade. There were only the three of us as a team this time. Keen had stayed in Cape Town, as Frost did not want him to accompany us without explaining the reason for this. The Dean had not left his room since we left Africa, leaving only Lucy and me on the deck surrounded by tourists. Many of them, Scottish, Irish, and Welsh, were keenly watching the storm that was brewing over our humble vessel. Despite all the chatter going on around us, we kept silence, which was an excellent trait Lucy had inherited from her father. The horizon all around us was an ominous dark grey, bringing more stormy weather. As the clouds grew darker, the louder the chatter grew, and the longer the tales of those around us, claiming to have seen storms far greater than that one. Despite this, we could still hear the soft sound of engine routers, indicating the presence of a speedboat in the area. How can anyone sail in weather like this? I asked myself aloud. It just takes someone to value something more than life, Lucy argued, and then pointed to a tiny dot on the horizon. Look, they're right there. The boat moved with difficulty, as if it were bobbing over the waves, crossing them erratically. Time after time, the small vessel was swallowed by the grey mass that the Atlantic had become, until it came close to us. Now, much closer, we expected to pass at high speed and disappear over the opposite horizon. But the pilot seemed to have other plans, coming directly towards our ferry. Getting ready, the passenger grabbed onto the ladder that was being thrown by the crew, climbing the rope steps until he reached the deck. 
We both just took the trouble to turn to face the scene and wait for the sailors to return to their positions. Stepping back, they then reviewed the figure of the newcomer, who maintained his characteristic taciturn expression. Dr. King? At that moment, the door leading to the deck also opened, and Frederick Frost came in, asking hurriedly, What is it, children? What has happened? I heard a commotion. Jacob? What are you doing here? How did you know where we were? I bribed the agent who allowed you to visit the island, he said simply, walking straight through the doorway that led to the rooms, not even casting a glance at Frost. Frost turned to us, still perplexed, as if asking both of us for an explanation for Jacob's behavior. Since we also had no way of justifying his manner, we simply shrugged and went inside to see Keen, leaving Frederick Frost on the deck. Behind him, the rotors were already turning again and taking the speedboat back into the clutches of the storm that surrounded us. Soon to be a dot in the horizon once again, and the pilot would enjoy the money he had received from Keen, if he made it through the storm alive, that is. Already at the bedroom door, we watched Keen open his suitcase and spread its contents of clothes on the bed. The mattress on which the suitcase were resting was Lucy's bed, and the one now covered with clothes was mine. We continued to stare disconsolately, hoping that he didn't intend to leave his belongings where we would spend the night. Not to get to the point, Lucy asked, So, doctor, you've caught up with us as you said you would. You know that this trip is not an expedition, right? We are just carrying the samples to the island, as Mr. Frost suggested. Following the movement for a few seconds, he returned. Well, I know that, miss, and that's the place I'm interested in, not the trip itself. And then he said, turning slowly towards us. I walked with Anthony for years, but he never revealed where he kept the samples. This left me with a bitter taste, to say the least. I'm going to this place and see for myself. And why do you want to see the old sample so badly, doctor? Lucy asked with her arms crossed. Well, uh, to relieve the thrill of each adventure. King turned to the wall as he said these words, hiding his face from us, and went back to rummaging through the suitcase he had bought after we left Cape Town. Lucy kept her gaze inquisitive and now full of suspicion about King but nothing was clear yet. Leaving the cabin, we heard King's voice order, Close the door when you leave! But we were already almost at the end of the corridor, and left without answering him. Back at the bow, the night was setting, and the full moon reflected in the east, providing sufficient light for the preparations that were being made on the deck. Brought by the crew, some tables were set up and fixed to the deck by small hooks, as was done on rainless nights. We sat at the table with the other strangers on chairs that were also fixed, trying to hear what the conversation was all about. So tell me, who was that man who arrived today in a speedboat? Asked one lady to another who was accompanying her. Well, he must be a philanthropist, suggested the other. Still a third person ventured. A retired military man is what he must be. These folks risk their lives because they miss the time when they made something of their existence. Actually, he's a biomedical scientist, part of our expedition team. Sitting at one of the ends, she was an easy target for the stairs they spread across the table. What kind of expedition? Cryptozoological. 
Oh, by God, that unicorn hunting. Don't tell me that the government uses taxes to fund such a thing. No, sir. And then, pointing to Frederick, who was sitting on the other end, she resumed. Mr. Frost funds our trips. A wave of glances went from Lucy toward Frederick Frost, who lifted his face from his plate of oysters. You support this sort of thing, Freddy? The first woman asked in surprise. Freddy? I whispered to Lucy, who returned my surprised look. Uh, Mrs. Campbell, explained the dean, addressing the lady who had questioned him. Look, it's just a way of supporting the dream of those young people. It doesn't mean that I believe any of these creatures are real. You better be sure of that, Frost, said the man who sat closest to me, his vast grey moustache twitching with the fury of his boots. Well, I said at last, there is conclusive evidence that at least some of these beings have survived to the present day. Nonsense, returned the man. Didn't you hear what Frost said? Dream. That was the word he used. Show some respect for your elders and believers, boy. Am I right, Frost? Yes, yes, sir. Despite being about the same age, the Dean lowered his frown to agree and shut up, without even trying to defend our walk. Alice Keane was not there. The result could have been much worse. But even with his absence, we had little appetite after this imposition of opinions. Getting up politely, we left the supper table and headed for the inside of the boat. On the way, we turned to Frost, but he refused to lift his face in front of the other passengers. Pathetic. In the corridor leading to the cabins, we felt nervous about entering the room, perhaps taken keen by surprise, but what could be done if the men had shaken our cabin by force? Staggering slightly with a subtle movement of the ship, we reached the cabin door and opened it so slowly that even its creaking could not be heard. The cabin was in deep darkness, and he might as well have been there, hiding among the shadows, as was his custom. To avoid doubt, Lucy pulled out of her pocket the flashlight she had obtained in Blue Water Bay and covered it with her hand before turning it on. Then gradually she raised her hand, allowing some light to escape and reflect of the surrounding weaker furniture, and finally the beds. Nothing. They were empty and tidier than we had left them previously. Anyway, at least he was not here, which meant that he was not our problem. He was probably in the captain's cabin, claiming to be able to pilot the ship better than the poor man. If that was the case, he would soon be put out and we would hear the story in the morning. But now we had to prepare for a fresh start, one that didn't involve criminals and the death of innocent people. The morning awoke with screams from outside our cabin. The booming voice was that of Frederick Frost, making up for the frustration of keeping quiet the night before. This time you've crossed the line, Kin! The figure that said this could not sound threatening even if he wanted to. With a swollen face and puffy eyes, Frost bore all the signs of someone who had been beaten, but eventually this was only the result of sleep deprivation, which has similar effects. Mr. Frost, what's wrong? Lucy asked, opening the door wider. Oh, nice to see you awake, Lucy. He greeted, still maintaining his angry tone. This scoundrel broke into my cabin the night before and locked it from the inside. Since I couldn't knock and wake the others, I had to leap on the deck table. Why, you didn't seem in any hurry to leave the table, he hissed. Now listen here. 
Frost threatened with his forefinger in the air. When we get to this island and unload, I want this to be the last time you show your snout anywhere near me. Is that clear? Frederick Frost left this scene, returning to his social group, which now surrounded the table that had served as the dean's bed. We turned together to Jacob, who said simply, He can stand the fact that I replace him on Anthony's team. He made his way to the opposite side of the table, heading to the other side of the bowl, where he could cool off in the salty ocean wind and still be visible to the dean and his friends, who often targeted the biomedical doctor with condemning glances. Despite the bad impression we had made last night, we also joined the president and his retired friends in enjoying the breakfast of omelettes and toast that the others were already enjoying. This menu, of course, was only possible on a relatively short trip this one. It would also be our last meal on the ferry. On the horizon, the first place to be seen by the Moshulu crew was also rising out of the sea for us to see now. The extinct volcano of Santa Helena, the inaccessible island. True to its name, the rise depended on perfect conditions to be docked, requiring a high enough tide and the skipper's skill in approaching the dock. Eventually, this had all been calculated before, and the various expeditions made with success until the numbers were added and the result became much more apparent. With surgical precision, our captain slowed down the engine room well in advance and positioned the boat perfectly, approaching the harbor extraordinarily slow, as was necessary. Upon docking, we were finally allowed to leave the ship and proceeded as a group out of the huge vessel. To avoid that already at this stage a tourist would leave the group and somehow harm the wildlife of the region, a man was waiting for us as soon as we got off the ferry. He was considered an elder, as those were the only people living there, but there was nothing about him that indicated this title, other than his age. His clothes were like those worn by other people in the area, ranging from jeans, polo shirts, and even some with writing in several languages, which, functionally, they did not speak fluently, otherwise they would have been shocked by the meaning. The more sensitive among the retirees even blushed when reading the message on the shirt, but maintained their respectful silence. Since English was the local language, the group of elders who welcomed us took care of leading the other tourists ahead to the only house on the island, where they would be tested. On the large platform that was an accessible island, it was possible to see all points of its surface, and the large red-roofed house that housed the native elders was located at the other end. The four of us stayed behind, as one of the elders was going to attend to us privately. As the noisy group was being led away, one of the elders broke away from the entourage and returned to surveyors, he being the one chosen to deal with our team. Approaching, the kindly old man had a gentle and welcoming expression, a hat covering his scalp and high grey glasses, all giving him an illusory image of fragility. Who of you is related to Anthony? asked the old man. I am, sir. I'm his daughter. Lucy said proudly. Very well. Your father kept the location of his most valuable samples a secret for years, ever since he asked us to protect them for him. And do you have any idea what was the danger my father feared? He never explained what threatened their safety, said the man, looking at the albatrosses shaking off from the rocks around the shore. In any case, the decision to keep it secret or not is up to you now. Your team has no rights, as they have no direct relations with Lane. Hey, listen, Frost spoke up. 
I paid for years so that Lane could do his research. And for years I kept the results of their research, said the elder, abandoning for a moment his fragile appearance. Do you think your money paid for that? Well, Lucy then answered, I trust my team. Show us around, please. Now you already know the place as your home, the old man said with a broad smile. At this, Lucy tilted her head, trying to understand the elder's words. Before anyone could ask, however, she was already heading for the house at a healthy, almost galloping pace. We ourselves hurried to follow him, as he left us behind with such agility. Are you going to show us with all these people here? Ross asked almost out of breath. There's nothing to worry about, our guide assured us. They will be there, but they won't see anything. Our curiosity about this mysterious hiding place increased with every detail described by him. What kind of hideout could be so mystical as to hide an entire collection of samples right under the noses of a group of tourists? Well, we were soon to find out, as we had to run to keep pace with the elder. When we arrived at the door of the manor, a voice sounded loud, in an authoritative tone. When we entered the place, we found the group sitting around an elder who, standing up, turned to the one and to another, asking personal questions and demanding their reasons to being on the island. And you, Colonel, he said, looking to the eyes of the ex-military man. Do you plan to bring domestic animals here? Perhaps you, then. You have come to survey the land and bring your pigs later, haven't you? Evelyn Campbell looked astonished at having her plan revealed. An aloe grave twiddled his mustache at what seemed an affront to his authority, but kept quiet when he remembered that this old man could send him off the island and not in a comfortable ferry. Noticing our presence at the door, the elder focused his eyes on those of our guide who warned him. Well, take a look at the second floor. With a nod, the former agreed, returning to come his thick beard in front of Colonel Griffiths. We were then led to the staircase, which was hidden by the wall of the room where the tourists were, but we were not told to go up. Lucy, called the old man who was guiding us, Lane himself designed the hiding place. I think that's enough for you to find out now. Turning toward the staircase leading to the second floor, Lucy stared at the wooden details. They had been carved in such a way as not to reveal the location of the hiding place and this spread to the ones adorning the side of the staircase. With a smile, she explained, Don't you think the house looks smaller on the inside than it is on the outside? Saying this, she pushed the lower side of the staircase open, and the wooden wall opened, revealing a large internal space, similar to the hiding place Lucy had at home, only several times its size. Closing the door behind us, Keen isolated us from the outside sound, and we were now completely surrounded by more jars, crates, and unidentified bombs. Since his expeditions began, the elder explained, Lane asked us to hold this priceless treasure for him. Many samples were taken to the modern world, but even they did not convince people. Teeth, vertebrae, and accounts, none of this was enough, but that was all he brought. His policy was not not bringing live animals, Jacob King completed. Exactly, agreed the old man. Now the boxes that were left at the docks must also be brought in. We stopped paying attention at that point. Lucy pulled me gently towards Frost and asked, It was he who designed my house too, wasn't it? 
For some reason, Lucy wanted me to witness the scene. Faced with the question, Prost is timid, but sighing, he replied. Yes, he was afraid he wouldn't accept the gift if you knew he designed it, but it's a bit late now to hide that from you. Is there anything else you have hidden to please my father, Mr. Frost? What? No, of course not. You already know everything else, dear. Saying this, he walked away, still having a not-at-all-reassuring smile, before joining Keen in listening to the elder's explanation. It's admirable to see that he doesn't know how to lie, I commented. Lucy agreed and said, Let's get those crates before I start inquiring someone around here, too. We were about to push the heavy wooden wall and go back outside when we heard light footsteps outside. Someone was standing at the base of the staircase and was soon climbing it to reach the second floor. When footsteps sounded on the wooden steps above us, Keen, Frost and the guide also stopped talking, concentrating on what would happen next. Do you think it's one of the elders? I whispered. No. Lucy replied, imitating the tongue. An elder would have entered the hiding place by now. It's one of the tourists. But if he goes up and doesn't find us... He will become suspicious, yes. The footsteps suddenly stopped and a loud cough was heard coming from the top of the stairs. Then they continued, but then we heard other footsteps. Those were coming from the central room of the manor. Hey, you! The second voice shouted. You are not allowed up there. Go back to your seat in the lobby. Apparently reluctant, the first voice began its slow descent, still clearing his throat. That was Fowler's voice, said Constantine, our guide. He was referring to the old man we had seen interrogating the tourists in the hall. It seems that Fowler got too busy threatening one of the tourists and another had the chance to come and spy. Well, Constantine said, now in a lower and more cautious tone, let's go to the pools and get those crates. The three men joined us near the entrance to the hiding place, and we listened to make sure that there was no one else trying to discover the secret. We opened the door, whose shape was distorted by the carvings in the wood, and were about to go back into the hall when Lucy held Constantine and me. Why did you want to go upstairs? Paula's authoritative voice continued to question with no answer. From his right, echoed the sound of footsteps descending the stairs frantically, as if all five were descending them at once. It was all a trick, though, since only three of us were doing it. Leaning on the banister, Lucy, Keen, and I would quietly jump up to a higher step and then nicely descend to the lower ones. Because of their age, Frost and Constantine waited at the bottom of the flight of stairs while we repeated the process for the third time, to the point where it was becoming fun to do it. It was enough for us to return to the lobby and pass by those present without them suspecting anything. When we did, we saw Fowler harshly interrogating the man who was now cleaning his throat with a dry noise, Colonel Griffiths. Temporarily setting his victim aside, the old man turned to the group that emerged from his right. We're getting the crates that these people brought, Constantine explained. Fowler looked alarmed and announced to the group of tourists, Well, you have been approved. Uh, shall we go to the, down to the slopes of the island? The colonel seemed suspicious at the sudden decision, but stood up obediently. 
Everyone else did the same, but he seemed relieved that the questioning session was over. Guiding his group, Paula opened the door and let everyone through, then warned us. Wait until you were out of sight before you entered the hiding place with the cargo, and leave someone watching the secret door. Disappearing with the small crowd that accompanied him, he then closed the door and made his way quickly across the plain of the island. Lucy opened the door just enough to peep and waited until the tourists had descended the rocks where the albatrosses were nesting, which was now watched by the eyes of a petrel, waiting for the opportunity to grab a nestling. At Lucy's signal, we left the Red Manor, heading for the harbor, but often turning around to make sure that no swallow had escaped Fowler's clutches. In the harbor were a few other elders, now working on collecting shellfish for dinner, and our boxes were stacked, still on the dock as they had left them. Each of us piled as many boxes and jars as we could on our arms to avoid too much travel, Lucy being the one who had chosen the biggest load, and we walked back at a brisk pace, not without hearing Kim's complaints on the way. Lucy, I called, suddenly realizing, we forgot to leave someone in charge of the entrance. No, we didn't, Kevin. How are we going to find out what the colonel wants so badly if someone is standing guard at the door? It's easy to fool the old fart, thought Harlow Griffiths, cooing gleefully under his grey moustache. Griff was already at the door of the manor again. Fowler talked a lot, but had little action. Why, he practically asked me to escape, he boasted. With such a large group, the men had gotten careless and lost sight of the old colonel, who was now climbing the stairs again, this time unhindered. Oh, damn! he exclaimed with a sharp pain coming from his lungs. It seemed that there were impediments, after all. Years of smoking had smoked his internal organs, but that was of little consequence now. It was not possible to go back to the past. If it were, he would have destroyed Anthony Lane with his bare hands. When Lane and Griffiths were young, their profession had positioned them as mortal enemies. In more recent years, the coroner had heard from a reliable source that Lane had a cache for his samples, but even this source did not know the location. And at last, here it was. After so many years, the secret had finally been revealed, and the only thing standing between him and the samples was Fowler, and maybe Lane's daughter. That bastard! How had he had enough time to scour the world for monsters and still raise a daughter? In any case, all that no longer mattered, because there were only a few steps to go now, and he would be right in front of... a room? Griff stopped, a confused expression permeating his face. Before him, a series of beds were arranged throughout the entire upstairs. But how? he thought. Where were the symbols? Turning around, the colonel noticed that the wall behind him had a door. I wondered. It seemed like such a tiny room. Maybe the symbols were not as many as I thought. But when he turned the knob, nothing. Turning it harder, he tried to break the mechanism, but the material did not give away so easily. Looking for something, colonel? asked a voice coming from his right. At the top of the stairs, with a wry smile, stood Jacob Keane, followed by the rest of us. The boxes resting on the step before the one we were stepping on limited the space between one and the other. Addressing the military man, 
Constantine threatened. Will you stand back, sir, or do I need to call Fowler? Pride wounded and begrudgingly, Griff descended the steps, passing by each of us and staring hatefully at everyone, especially Lucy and Constantine. Keen followed him and stopped him from closing the door. I'd rather see you get to the rocks, the biomedical doctor said. Snorting, the colonel lowered his frown and made his way back, being followed all the way by Keen's eyes. When he was long gone, we descended again and entered the hiding place, concealing the crates as fast as we could, leaving Jacob behind as we went out to get the others. With four people, the process became more efficient, even though Frost couldn't carry more than a single jar. And in about an hour, we were closing the staircase door again. The night was also approaching, and all the work the other elders had done during the day would prove useful, because they were carrying in large, wicker baskets the shellfish they had collected on the seashore, along with a few mackerels and travelers. There were large predators in the sea around us, such as tuna and wahoos, but the elders knew that overhunting the organisms at the top of the food chain eventually brings it down as a whole. And even the smaller fish they brought back were necessary just so that the tourists wouldn't complain about having only mussels to eat, as was previously the case. Digging a hole in the ground, Paula and I piled up the wood, lit a star fire, and placed over it, attached to two wooden supports, a large cauldron of seawater, into which we poured everything that had been caught during the day. On that one occasion, I saw Fowler bend on his hateful expression and smile slightly. He seemed genuinely happy to have someone helping during the work of pampering those ungrateful people, whose little financial help they gave only covered the expenses of the Guardian's stay on the island. We all sat down around a huge bonfire and began to tell our stories, but not on our own initiative. So most of you already know what the late Dr. Lane did, Paula said out loud. The man was a hero, able of clearing jungles and unraveling every kind of mystery he came across. The old man said these words as if he had been a close friend of Anthony Lane. Unfortunately, few believed him out of sheer ignorance. Now it's too late for my good friend. Lucy and I exchanged a look of surprise. But Anthony left someone to take care of his legacy. These two young people who are with us were willing to follow where he left off. And from what Frederick had told me, they have already done a lot to honor their father's name. Why don't you tell us the stories you have already lived through as a team? Lucy turned to me and then to the crowd around us, still not knowing where to start. Well, I received a call from my father saying that a witness had reported seeing a Kayamuno in Ambungi, and... What is a Kayamuno? One of the tourists asked, curious. I think Kevin can answer that. Lucy replied, smiling as she called me over to the fire. Still stuttering a little, I explained, Kayamuno is a, the name given in the region to the genus of dinosaurs known scientifically as Dinochirus, large animals reaching up to 11 meters with huge arms and claws and bodies covered in down. There are some local legends about the creature that I believe Dr. Jacob King can give you more details about, since he speaks the language of the local people. Me? Yeah, Doctor, you're an important part of our team. Now, I, uh, I could tell in detail the myth I have heard from the people, but uh, I don't see the point in doing so when it is not a scientific matter. But you know, as you mentioned, Kevin, it is a knowledge that only I possess. 
and so we took turns telling about the encounters with the Kayamunus and Probactosaurus herd, the terrible discovery that Sinitosaurus and Australovenators also inhabited the region, the losses we had announced, the Leptoclitus colony in Luleka, and our investigation, and the horrible accident that had happened to Thabo Amaeki. As they listened to the description of each scene, Chorus and elders alike were terrified, smiling, and even crying. But two of them, Colonel Griff and Mrs. Campbell, seemed bothered by the stories. The military man even got up and headed for the door, but Fowler questioned him. Where are you going, Colonel? To sleep early. Is that forbidden too? If no one's there to watch you, yes, it is forbidden. Now get a bowl of soup and get back to your seat. Twisting his grey moustache, Arlo Graves returned to his seat in the group, but without serving himself some to feel that he still possessed a little autonomy. Our story went on until late that night, because even as we finished it, questions came pouring in about what kind of animal Sinidosaurus were, why the second Australovenator didn't follow us into the sea, how can he manage to eat Bilton, and so on. And finally, everyone's eyes could no longer remain open, and the coroner had been tortured enough. Paula ordered us to enter the manor to prepare to rest for the night. To prevent any unexpected attack, one of the elders was already waiting in front of the door that Griff had forced earlier, with his arms crossed and the firmest expression he could fake, although the expression of all the inhabitants of the island was naturally affable. We took our beds and closed our eyes, except for the colonel, who kept his eyes wide, staring firmly at the poor elder guarding the room. Sitting on his bed, he remained like that until dawn. When I then needed to go to the bathroom, I remembered that I had not seen one anywhere in the house. Noticing that I had woken up, and still without opening her eyes, Lucy commented in a whisper. Thank the colonel that we don't have a bathroom. Why him? Because Fowler wanted to throw him off, making him obsessed with this room that he thinks is the hiding place. So this room is... Yeah. I leaned back again. The only alternative would be to leave the manor, but doing so was not safe with the kind of people who surrounded us there. It was more worthwhile to wait until dawn came. When we got up in the morning, Griff had the weeping eyes of one who had not closed them for an entire night, while the old man got in the room had fallen asleep by the door and was now walking away with his body. Paula entered the large room of the manor, announcing that the ferry would be arriving soon and that we should get ready. You two, he said, pointing at Lucy and me. Stay behind. I want to talk to you before you leave the island. The other tourists went down the stairs, supporting the coroner so that he would not roll down the stairs, as he was now staggering with fatigue. When everyone had already left the official residence of the elders, and after asking permission from the elder who was sleeping at the door, I came forward together with Lucy to hear what Fowler had to tell us. Listen, he said, softening the usual gruff tone in his voice. There is a document left here by Anthony that can go back to the owners now. Holding out his hands, he handed a, th a thick, bound notebook. Opening the huge register, we saw that it was something familiar. A sequence of numbers accompanied a name or code name. Are these the cryptid location coordinates? Lucy recognized. Exactly. I remember how he explained all this jumble of numbers to each member of the expedition. Anyway, the creatures he researched are crossed out, as you can see, 
There is a line in South America, another one in Oceania, and so on. There are numerous places he didn't have enough time to explore. Yes, sir, I said, still emotional. I was not sure how he would say goodbye to Fowler, but he looked cold as his customary four elders, and Lucy seemed to agree with me. Together, we threw ourselves against the old man, hugging him. Somewhat surprised at first, he seemed astonished before returning the gesture. Honey, hers back, I felt something I haven't felt since we visited the archipelago, perhaps because there I lost forever what I felt now. We let go of Fowler and made our way to the staircase, which we went down to reach the lobby, not before taking one last look at the hideout door and its intricate details carved into the thick wood. We walked across the plain, feeling an incredible nostalgia, a longing for the small island that had sheltered us for only one night, but which held an immense treasure for both of us. Upon reaching the harbor, most of the faces still looked tired, as they had not had proper hygiene when they got up. Griff and Campbell were the ones who seemed most upset about leaving the island so quickly, but they would have to, because the ferry was already carefully approaching to anchor in the harbor of an accessible island. Before we could climb the ramp, however, Frost had to answer the phone and ask the two of us to wait. Yes, yes, sir, I represent Lane's team, yes, he said. A what? Are you sure it wasn't another animal? Uh, yes, I know you're not an idiot, I'm sorry. Lucy and I looked at each other, trying to guess what was coming next. And where is this area, Mr. Boseman? Yes, don't worry, it's pretty close to home. I just saw the, the next chapter's name, title, and I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so sometimes you gotta go for stupid wood plays, right? I love like that. I like it too. Yeah. So, how do you like uh, chapter 23? That's what it was? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the caves rock. How'd you like it? My favorite part was, you know what? <laughs> the old lady! The old lady! Oh, the old lady! Okay, I had forgotten her. The old lady! I, I forgot about... them. <laughs> yeah, oh, by the it's way. It's possible. The... <laughs> I have a horrible memory, all right? Jurassic fans know that as well. <laughs> you Look, wrote this uh... book! <laughs> I did, but that was not the voice. <laughs> not the way in my mind. I want a but book I, about those old ladies right now on my desk. Okay. I'm writing it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> That's the book I'm writing for Matthew. You know, thank she's you. Gonna, she's going to be a, one of the main villains. Really? Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the kind of a stupid thing that I write, and for some reason, people actually uh, enjoy. Jurassic fans, we got some news, by the way. Would you guys believe the, you know, the publisher of my book? They actually made an Instagram post with our novel here in Brazil. So yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. It was awesome. <laughs> it was. It was indeed. I like. I was tagged in that, and I was like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> what was that? My my. 
wow, okay, that's pretty cool and all. <laughs> right? Oh, how's your doggy, by the way? Your little Sorry? doggo. Your, your doggo, the one that was sick. Oh, she's okay. She's okay. <laughs> oh. She was, she was beaten, beat, beat, beaten by the other one. And she was crying yeah. a lot and bleeding a lot. And yeah, it was a scary moment, but she's okay now. <laughs> My, yeah, you, you told me they had a little bit of a row. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they get a little crazy when it rains and we were not home to see them. So I mean, we would all do, right? Yes. <laughs> we can comprehend that easily. So, a little bit trivia. Huh? Fowler, it means bird catcher. So, that, that's why. So, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you got that. Yes, indeed. So, that's why the old, uh, the old elder, I mean, he's an elder, so it makes sense that he's called that. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, Grief. Grief means strong chief. Nice. And Arlo means fortified hill. So it's all related to army because, you know, a colonel. So. Nice. And, yeah. And I, I mean, we don't need to mention the fact that this strange word exists, right? Colonel. Yeah. It's pronounced I, I with hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate this word. Oh, you said was... so... I was almost reading it like, and then the said. <laughs> <laughs> I hate oh, man. And you know what? You know the worst part? You be hearing these words like so frequently for the next book. Gee. <laughs> oh, come on. I, I can't have a, like a Mrs. Campbell without having her hubby. I'm not going to read like this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you two people, yeah, to be, a, <laughs> to be fascinating to do that together. <laughs> oh man, this is gonna be so cool! All right, so uh, uh, I, I guess uh, this is basically it. Uh, one more thing: Have you been watching a dinosaur with Tim and Fry? No, I haven't. Oh man, <laughs> you're not missing out on anything, really. Not missing out. <laughs> Because it's a horrible show. Um, really? Yeah, you know, like the the facts they got they get everything so strangely wrong. Like uh, they were talking about the raptors, and then they say, "Well, I mean, obviously it's a carnivore. Look at the teeth, right?" Five minutes later, so how do you know it's a carnivore? So what is this, Dora the Explorer? Do we have to? <laughs> Do I you see the teeth? Wait a minute. Let's Can go. you point it? Oh my god. El dinosaurio. Look at that. Oh well. Oh my. <laughs> And that's why I'm so excited that Prehistoric Planet is having a season two on Apple TV. <laughs> you know, because that's a truly good documentary. Stephen Fry is, oh man, they, they don't know what you're doing. And the Tyrannosaurus, for some reason, they won't stop roaring. There is like this, uh, 
mate dance thing, and then they just go, oh. I saw the meme. You, you did? <laughs> I, I was shocked by that episode. I had to make that meme. Like, okay, so, like, uh, there are no animals who do that, like, all the damn time. Yeah. Especially for a predator. They know when to shut up. <laughs> wow. These guys, they, they're going to... So wrong. So wrong. <laughs> man, man. All right, that's it, Jurassic fans. This was a, a wonderful trip. I'll be editing and posting this today. Uh, updates for you. I'm already on page 147 of the next novel. Ooh. I... Yeah, I reached page 147 last night at about 5 a.m. So I'm dead inside. I hope you know that. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to us. We'll be seeing you next week. Keep going for the school. Bye-bye. <laughs>